This is Africa Digest. Welcome to Africa Digest. You're listening to Channel Africa, giving you news from an African perspective. We're broadcasting to you from our studios in Johannesburg, South Africa, and we're available on www.channelafrica.co.za. And you can also find us on all of our social media pages. My name is Samora Mangesi in studio with Jwalani Tulo, Tracy Boomgaard, as well as Neto Chimani. A couple of top stories on Africa Digest at this hour. Reports emerged that some senior leaders of the South Africa's ruling ANC accused President Cyril Ramaphosa of working with external forces to destroy the party. The son of former Angolan President Jose Eduardo dos Santos appeared in court yesterday at the start of his trial on corruption charges. And Zimbabwean youths came up with a solution to the energy crisis in their country. We'll also be having your economics as well as sporting news a little bit later on in the hour, so do stay tuned for that. But right now, speaking of news, it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here's Zwalani Tulo with your latest news bulletin. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samora. Good afternoon. The International Court of Justice in The Hague is hearing opening arguments in a case in which Myanmar is accused of genocide against its Muslim Rohingya minority. Myanmar's de facto leader, Nobel Peace Prize winner Aung San Suu Kyi, is attending the proceedings. She's not expected to speak until Wednesday when she'll argue that Myanmar's carrying out a legitimate counter-terrorism operation targeting Rohingya militants. Uh, counsel for the Gambia, Andrew Lowstein, read the account of a witness to some of the killings by Myanmar's armed forces known as Tatmando. First round of shooting was like a rain of bullets. The second round was slow as the soldiers killed the men individually. They aimed a gun at each man and shot. The soldiers killed those who had survived gunshot wounds with long knives. South Africa's Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs Minister Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma says national, provincial and local governments will coordinate their efforts to assist the more than 500 people that floods have affected. She says the mushrooming of informal settlements in dangerous areas makes it difficult for government to ensure the safety of people. Nkosazana Tlamini Zuma visited the Easter Fabrik informal settlement in the capital Pretoria where the Moridele River burst its banks and swept through the shanks destroying positions 
possessions of the people living there. She has confirmed that her body was found in Centurion this morning. All three spheres have to work together to try and find a solution to this, um, to make sure that people understand that it's not just government being cruel, but it's government being helpful, because when the rains come, then people suffer. So if they can understand that being told not to build in a particular place is not out of uh, insensitivity of government, but it's out of concern that when these kind of weather conditions come, they will um, bear the brunt, they will suffer, some may even lose their lives. 26 male crossdressers have been arrested at a birthday party in Kano State in northern Nigeria. Police say the young men who were dressed as women were detained on Sunday. Deputy Commissioner Tasiu Ishak says it is a shame, quote rather, that it is a shame that men and good citizens can put up such a behavior and act like women, close quote. He says the men had been preached to about the spiritual consequences of their actions and will be released to their parents. Kano is one of the states in northern Nigeria that enforces Sharia law, which has been in place since 2001. Under the Islamic religious law, police have the power to arrest people they believe are carrying out actions that are contrary to the Islamic laws. Kenya's wildlife services are searching for a lion which killed a man on the outskirts of the capital Nairobi. The animal is believed to be strayed, to have strayed rather, from a nearby gang park. The BBC's Atnanda Mondi has the story. Anxiety is spreading in the Rongai area where the mauled remains of a man were discovered on Monday morning. He had been partially eaten by a lion, which is believed to have strayed from the adjacent Nairobi National Park. The Kenya Wildlife Service has said in a statement that it was saddened by the tragic death and has sent a team of rangers and a vet to locate the lion. Members of the public have been cautioned to stay indoors at night until the lion is captured. And finally, a man in the Czech Republic has shot dead six people and wounded three others at a hospital in the northern east city of Ostrava. The motive for the attack is unclear. The Czech Prime Minister, Andrej Babij, has called the shooting a terrible tragedy. The BBC's Rob Cameron has the story. Police say the suspect fled the scene by car before turning the gun on himself. They've identified him as a 42-year-old man who opened fire with a 9mm pistol. The minister praised police for their quick response. They were on the scene within five minutes of the shooting. But questions will inevitably be raised not only about the motive, but also over gun ownership in a country where mass shootings are rare, but many do possess gun licenses for their own protection. Headlines at 5.30 for Channel Africa. I'm Cholani Tulo. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. There are reports that some senior leaders of the ruling African National Congress have accused South Africa's President Cyril Ramaphosa of working with external parties to collapse the ruling party and replace it with a centre-right coalition led by him after the 2024 general elections. They claim the president and his business allies are going out of their way to privatize state-owned enterprises and destroy black-owned companies, excuse me, funded by Public Investment Corporation, PIC, as all opposition parties except Julius Malema's opposition economic freedom fighters. More from political analyst Dirk Kotzer. 
Well, first of all, they have now a meeting of the National Executive Committee since uh, Sunday, and it will conclude this afternoon. Um, and tomorrow we will have a formal uh, media conference about it. So we will then have some indication of what were the issues that were discussed. One of them, uh, as you in, in indicated, is about the state-owned enterprises and the fact that South African Airways has been put under business rescue, uh, which is not privatization. Uh, it is about how to actually to save the company and to, if not, how to make it possible to 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 put it in a different form as a business. But what we are seeing likely is, is that those persons who have supported President Zuma in the past are very much under pressure. Some of them have been arrested, like the former Minister of Intelligence, Bongani Bongu, uh, the Secretary General of the ANC, Aisma Basule, has made statements likely that indicate that uh, they feel that they are unfairly under pressure. And I think mm. those voice persons that you are referring to mainly come from, from those. Uh, there's, there's clearly uh, a sense uh, of uh, anxiety mm. that more and more persons are being arrested who are associated with state corruption or state capture, as it is called. Now, let's talk a little bit about the, the grasp of uh, the president um, within the ANC. Do you believe that um, he is indeed in control of uh, uh, the party, much like his predecessors, or is he having more of a difficult job at this time? He has more of a difficult job because he was elected on a, uh, with a very small majority uh, compared to previous uh, presidents like President Mandela or President Mbeki or even President Zuma that were elected with much bigger uh, majorities. So clearly he has a much uh, tougher job to, in order to be able to implement these views uh, to gain control over the ANC. I think he's in a better position when it comes to government that he says already to a large extent the persons in cabinet who, who support his views, um, although there's, there's talk from the, the Zuma's former supporters also. Um, mm-hmm. So in, in that sense, he is in a unique position within the ANC compared to the previous president. Mm. Now, let's talk a little bit around uh, um, uh, support um, uh, in terms of, of the polls. Uh, do we see, um, you know, a, a future of the party uh, turning around, it says, support um, uh, when it comes to the polls in the future? Well, what we've seen likely is that uh, all the different parties, the opposition parties also, are not necessarily in a very good position. Uh, the BA, the Democratic Alliance, which is the official opposition, uh, they've lost their leader, Musi Maimani, they've lost uh, their mayor in Johannesburg, and they actually lost Johannesburg uh, itself. And the ANC took over in a, with a coalition there. Um, in the case of the EFF, they are, well, this coming weekend will start with their own uh, conference, and uh, they have to elect a new leadership there, and there are some internal issues about uh, some of the, the top persons that might not be pre-elected. So they, all the parties are going through a, a, a process of reconsideration, of, of redefining themselves, um, and that might in the end uh, benefit the ANC. Uh, the, the first test for that is going to be with the local government election in about 18 months' time, um, towards the end of 2021, um, and that will give us a good indication of where the ANC stands. I think at the, at the moment it's a difficult time because of the economy in South Africa um, and also with what we experience lately now with ESCOM, the electricity provider, that is really struggling. Um, and that can have all sorts of implications which are not 
at this stage very predictable, but it will reflect on the ANC ultimately also. And that was Dirk Kotzer, South African political analyst, and he was on the line to Zikonamiso. The son of former Angolan President Jose Eduardo dos Santos has appeared in court on Monday at the start of his trial on corruption charges. It is the first time a member of the dos Santos family appears in the dock since President João Lorenco came to power in 2017. Jose Filomeno dos Santos is being accused of transferring 500 million U.S. dollars from the central bank to an account in Britain around the time that his father prepared to step down after 38 years in power. The 41-year-old is among several prominent figures who've lost influential positions since President João Lorenco assumed office two years ago. For more on the trial, Channel Africa's Kumbelo Mujarele spoke to Belamino van Dunen, Angolan political analyst. This is a great sign of um, the the, the fight against corruption in in Angola. As you know, José Flamengo dos Santos is the second most high-profile person to be targeted in the new president, uh, João Lourenço, against uh, alleged corruption. Uh, And uh, if uh, we continue with this process to the judgment of the person who committed Screen, it will be a, a great sign for the society, uh, in national society and international society, because you can convince the investors to come in Angola and to invest. And the, the justice is very important to work. And in Angola, we are in this process. It's a hard process because so many personalities who have belonged to the government, uh, others maybe in the future can be also be tried in the, in, the, in the judgment of our um, in, in our in our justice process. He, of course, is convinced that he has done nothing wrong. Could this be a long drawn legal process here with him, perhaps coming up with Stalingrad tactics to delay the process? This concrete case is related to the illegal acts committed by him and his partners. It was an illicit transfer of uh, $500 million to an account at Credit Suisse counter in London. Uh, the transfer was carried out by the former government of uh, the National Bank of Angola, sure. which is also being tried in the same case now. Uh, this judgment is give a clear sign that... Uh, uh, the fight against corruption will continue in Angola, and uh, it's uh, a good time for the society, nationally and internationally. Now, of course, uh, this case comes after President Lorenzo fired another of uh, his predecessor's children, Isabel dos Santos, from her position as head of uh, the state oil giant Sonango in November 2017 of uh, alleged embezzlement. What has happened uh, to Isabel dos Santos? Okay, we cannot see, it's very dangerous to see this fight against corruption as a fight against the sons and daughters of former President Santos. It, it, it is a fight against the process of illegality in our country. Uh, unfortunately, uh, the former President Santos have sons and daughters who are, uh, have a business, they are uh, a businessmen, and uh, maybe they will have the problem with justice. But the fight is not against the sons and daughters of the president, of former President Bush Santos, because the majority of the person, uh, high-profile persons that 
have problems with the justice are not former President Bushanto's family. So I think that the vision and is not good to see this fight as a fight against Bushanto's family. But we have to see this fight as a thing that we have to do to to have a good governance to to fight corruption in our society, it, is, it will be uh, very good for us because the problem that we face now, we have financial crisis, we have a social crisis, we have an economic crisis. People are suffering in our country because of corruption. So uh, I think that this fight is to uh, have to continue, but we as um, a fight against the Bushanto's family. Lorenzo is struggling to win Angola's economy off oil, which accounts for one-third of uh, Angola's GDP and more than 90% of uh, exports. Do you think he is making progress in terms of uh, the reforms that he introduced? Unfortunately, now we uh, are not seeing the results. Maybe in the future more because we have uh, President Lorenzo in power since two years now. So we have to wait because the economy are very, very, very. Uh, we have a uh, difficult now. Uh, the result, if you see the evaluation, international evaluation, you will see that the results don't come now. Maybe in the future. But uh, I think the, the way that uh, Angola is uh, going is the best way, because if you, you fight uh, corruption, if you, you normalize your society, if you give a sign to national and international society that you, you want to make better, you want to normalize the institutions, maybe in the future uh, here you know, we will uh, find the, the goals and objective of uh, uh, President Lorenzo's plan or program. But now we don't are uh, seeing the results. That's Bellamino van Dunen, Angolan political analyst on the line from the capital, Luanda, talking to Kumbelo Munjalele. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at NETLE to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling, but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, 
Aburengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9 and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa. Rise. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Again, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Across the globe, every second, there's always a breaking story. What we want to achieve is a healthy and vibrant economy, which can ensure full employment to our people. The government concurs with the views of the Black Economic Empowerment Council report that it is now necessary to make our policies on Black Economic Empowerment more explicit. Last May, I asked constituencies at Netlec to discuss youth employment incentives. I'm pleased that discussions have been concluded and that agreement has been reached on key principles. We are on an ambitious drive to industrialize, to attract investment, and to create more jobs for the youth of our country. They don't have jobs. Tried looking for a job for it's a year and a half now. The challenges were experience and the, the level of education which I have. Channel Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. Zimbabwean youths operating under a registered company, Oil Company,
Castor have launched an innovative initiative to produce biodiesel for the troubled country. The southern African nation is facing serious economic challenges that have seen the rise of fuel shortages characterized by long queues. In a bid to ease the fuel woes, Oil Castor announced in the capital on Tuesday that Castor Oil Biodiesel was the answer to the country's demise. This oil has been identified as a cure to several ailments since the push for the country to adopt the multi-purpose plant. More from our correspondent based in Harare, Zimbabwe, Samuel Mchemwa. Castor bean has been used for many years as an industrial oil seed crop because of its high seed oil content. The plant grows under varying moisture and soil conditions, hence the idea by Zimbabwean youths to come up with biodiesel initiatives from the seed in Zimbabwe. This was revealed in the capital Harare on Tuesday, and if all goes according to plan, this could ease the country's fuel problems. Zimbabwe has been facing serious fuel challenges from end of 2017, and that has been growing over the past few months. In a bid to cure the fuel crisis, Oilcaster, an entity owned by Zimbabwean youths, have announced extraction of biodiesel from the caster seed would start soon to ease the shortage. Oil Caster, head of chemistry Takuz Wachifamba, explained how the biodiesel is likely going to succeed. Right now, we have the formula to produce the biodiesel. We are not yet producing that much biodiesel, but we've produced enough biodiesel for us to test on our uh, mill. It's a diesel engine uh, powered mill. We've tested it, it runs, and it has no issues. But however, we'll call you once, we, we, we are planning to set two diesel engines. Uh, one who would run with the fossil diesel and the other who would run with our biodiesel. Then we'll call you uh, next, most probably in the near future. Then we say, run these two engines. You compare uh, the performance of the two engines. But however, for the tests in the laboratory, this, our biodiesel, is uh, surpassing the expected standards of the biodiesel that is expected. While the production of the seed could appear a bit easy considering all it requires is organic manure. The extraction of the oil from the seed is a bit expensive as the oil comes with some impurities. Considering the country is also facing serious electricity shortages, Takuzwa said the project would rely on solar energy. Well, uh, during uh, the crashing stage, during the processing of uh, the, uh, the caster seed, up till we get to the final product, the biodiesel, there are various stages involved. The crashing stage and uh, the oil extraction stage. So when you, when you extract the oil in its pure form, yes, it contains that, that toxic. It's called ricin. Yeah, that's toxic. If you handle the oil without uh, doing further processing to that oil, yes, it's toxic. But you can remove that toxic substance through heat treatment. So right now we are treating our oil through heat treatment. We are boiling the oil. We are looking into other methods that we can, yeah, we, we, we can employ. You are asking if we are going to use uh, an energy-intensive process for the production of the biodiesel. We are looking into other methods so that we can produce, uh, we can provide the energy. We we'll, may we'll employ maybe solar to provide um, the heat needed for the heat treatment. It doesn't take much energy. It requires less time just to eliminate um, the rising. Um, during the conversion of uh, the oil to the, to the biodiesel, the viscosity of the oil doesn't uh, contribute to, 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 to anything to, to the process because it's a mere conversion of uh, the triglycerides in the oil to a what? To the biodiesel and the waste product. Poshia Maposa, the agro head of all castor, appealed for Zimbabwean farmers to embrace castor 
bean production locally. This beautiful oil reduces carbon dioxide. This beautiful oil will not have you change your oil, uh, your motor oil often. Once a year, that's all you need to maintain your car. Air filters. These are costs that we don't even have to incur because we don't even make most of them, most of them in Zimbabwe. So let's stop importing things that we don't, we don't need and start buying local things that we can sustain ourselves with. We can be great again. We can stop mining and grow castor beans easily and really, really be self-efficient. We can intercrop alongside with castor beans because they increase our yields and stop putting chemicals that are not needed in our food so that I don't have to die with cancer, your mother doesn't have to die with cancer, your children don't have to die with cancer. During the launch of the initiative in Arare, Poshia revealed the Zimbabwean government was yet to license the production of the biodiesel despite reports of success in other countries. This did not come as a shock as several other locals tried addressing the fuel shortages in the country in the past through Jatrofa, a move that never was finalized. I can only be an Oprah in my own country. When my people are rich, I feel rich. When my people are healthy, I feel healthy. It's very scary to be out there as a black person. There's no other pride you can get than having your own country. But it's been sad that our country is mismanaged, right? And unfortunately, with mismanaging results to people being mistreated. Our people are being mistreated outside this country. Yes, we might be mistreated home, but it's worse over there. When you go to Canada or North America, you're black, you go to jail. Your rights are to go to jail. In Harare, Zimbabwe for Channel Africa, this is Simon Muchemwa. And now it's time for us to cross on over to the news desk. Here's Jwalani Tulo with your latest news headlines. SABC News. Independent and impartial. From an African perspective. Thank you, Samara. Making headlines. The International Court of Justice in The Hague is hearing opening arguments in a case in which Myanmar is accused of genocide against its Muslim Rohingya minority. South Africa's Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs Minister Nkosazana Lamini Zuma says national, provincial and local governments will coordinate their efforts to assist the more than 500 people that floods have affected. And finally, 26 male cross-dressers have been arrested at a birthday party in Kano State in northern Nigeria. For Channel Africa, I'm Chorani Tulo. SABC News, independent and impartial. From an African perspective. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese, and Chinyanja, informing the world about Africa. Welcome to Change Your Game on Channel Africa, the African perspective. We are coming to you from Johannesburg, right here in South Africa. I'm Asanda Beda, your host. Change Your Game, the program that promotes open discussion and social dialogue as we highlight real issues in the African entrepreneurship ecosystem. 
Trevor Mumba now joins us in studio to talk about his entrepreneurial and personal journey. Welcome to Change Your Game, Trevor. Thank you so much. Um, it's an honor to be here. Palesa Mukubong, who's a designer. Welcome, Palesa, to Change Your Game. Thank you. Your role at the fourth annual Fashion Without Borders event? I just know that I need to arrive and, and, <laughs> okay. and do my part and do it really, really well. When I think back to my childhood, geographically, it reminds me of a time where I was black and only black and only struggling but at the same time, always reaching for something more, something bigger in a South Africa that was hostile. Hello, Africa. This is 1000 African Voices, and I'm your host, Avurengui. Join me on Channel Africa every Thursday morning between 8 and 9, and on Saturday and Sunday morning between 9 and 10. Rise, Africa, rise. Channel Africa, the voice of the African Renaissance. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. This is Channel Africa, South Africa's official international public radio station on shortwave, internet and satellite. From an African perspective, listen to Channel Africa in English, Kiswahili, French, Silozi, Portuguese and Chinyanja. Informing the world about Africa. Hi there, how are you? Hello? Hello? Hi, how are you? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? Good, thank you. Is this Lisa Handy? Yes, this is. Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. We're going to be speaking about this new report by the Environmental Investigation Agency, the EIA, which has revealed how associates connected to Zambian President Edgar Lungu, uh, including his daughter, Tassila Lungu, are allegedly involved in the plunder of uh, valuable and increasingly scarce Mukula rosewood trees. Now, the investigation shows that despite public pledges in the end of the illegal Mukula trade, several politicians are repeatedly named as key actors in a timber trafficking network that allegedly bypasses existing national bans on Mukula harvest and experts. Now, as you've already heard, we do have uh, on the line Lisa Handy, who is Director of Forest Campaigns at the Environmental Investigation Agency, to discuss this report further with us. Lisa, thank you very much for joining us yet again. Thank you very much for having us. Um, As you've already highlighted, the Mukula tree is under threat in Zambia and has been for many years, which led us to be interested in the situation there and there have been multiple export bans over the years to try to address this trade and since 2017 it's been quite clear that the um, tree cannot be harvested or transported or traded yet the um, trade has continued and has even grown significantly since 2014. Um, So the 
the only exception to the ban, and this is one of the things that we highlight in our report, the only exception to the ban in the trade has been the allowance for the Zambia Forestry and Forest Industries Corporation, known as Zafico, uh, a Zambian company, uh, a Zambian uh, state organization, to be able to uh, export on specific occasions the seized timber that has been harvested or transported illegally and seized um, under these bans. And there were a lot of doubts raised about the volumes of continued loss of trees and harvest and the amount of timber going out of the country. And so that led us to look at it more. And this is where um, where it came that the facilitation of of continued export is coming in two ways. We, we were told when we looked more closely in the country what was going on. One is through the um, issuance of extra uh, secret permits through Zafico for the uh, transport, sale, and export of, of newly harvested logs um, in addition to the ones that had been seized. And also another permitting system we've been reported that comes through the president um, or those associated with the president to allow uh, logs to be exported from the country, um, even in spite of the, of the ban. Now, Lisa, first of all, when was the investigation done, and could you take us through some of the, the, the people who, the key people who are involved in the alleged plunder? I know, I know that we know that they are associates connected to Zambian President Edgar Lungu, including his daughter, Tasele Lungu, but is there anybody else of prominence that we might know of? Um, others that were mentioned to us during our, so our investigation occurred over th- this year, and others that were reported to us um, Repeatedly, we're also uh, Minister Kapata of uh, Lands and Resources and Minister Lubinda of Justice, as well as a local chief, Kafula. And actually, the local chief, Kafula, was interviewed this week and confirmed uh, everything that we had reported in our report about how the, t- how the permit was received from the president that allowed him to export 100 containers of Mukula in spite of the export ban. Now, the report also raises some serious concern about the implementation of the recent international protection granted to the threatened Mukula tree by the Convention on International Trade in in Endangered Species of Wild Fauna and Flora. Where are the loopholes here? Yeah, I mean, you raise a very good question, and and that's the reason for why I put the report out at this time, because the Mukula tree, very importantly, was did receive additional protection um, at the meeting of the Convention on International Trade in Foreign Fauna known as CITES earlier this year in August, and that protection went into effect on November 26th, which now lists that species on Appendix 2 of the Convention, which means that there needs to be special permitting to have that species traded in international trade. And it, it seems really critical at this moment that given that the trade in Makula has remained constant, even despite the local export bans in Zambia, that it has, be, it has not proven possible to control the trade within Zambia. And bringing into the, the demand side now into the conversation and bringing the international trade into the conversation gives a real opportunity, again, to help protect this tree and reinforce the, the rules put in place in Zambia by ensuring that company, countries, excuse me, and particularly in this case China, where the absolute majority of the Makula is going, gives a real opportunity to China to not accept Um, this species into the country unless it's receiving the correct permits. And it's also really important at this moment that Zambia put in place a zero export quota 
for the the logs, which is which may seem redundant since they already have an export ban in the country, but it's super important that they do this very publicly now, and so that they also put the countries that are receiving this on notice that they should not be receiving any export from the country. Now, Lisa, there's also been cons- uh, some criticism against the report. In fact, in response to the report, Emmanuel Mwamba, who is the ambassador of Zambia to Ethiopia, says that the report has no credible and uh, multiple sources and that it bears no proof of documents to the allegations made. How do you respond to that? I appreciate that question. I mean, there, there's nothing fake about the trade that we're witnessing. I mean, the trade statistics show it. The local concern from communities and many citizens within Zambia for the loss of this critical tree to so important to their forests is very real. Um, the numbers don't lie for what is going out of the country. And if and we just would really appreciate, I mean, everything that we were told and reported, and we have uh, video and, and audio evidence of this, points to the actors that we highlighted in the report. And we would appreciate if there was an investigation undertaken to look at those that are conducting the trade and to, to get to the bottom of that um, rather than, than trying to tout this very real report that we put out as fake news. All right. And how many witnesses does the report rely on at the moment? It relies a lot on um, trade data and research. It relies on multiple reports that have been put out over the years, as well as many interviews that were conducted in country with um, traders and traffickers who we spoke with. And uh, take us through the recommendations that are made in the report. Sure, I already spoke to those a little bit, but but they're quite critical. So just to to repeat um, and put a finer point on it, we would definitely recommend an urgent and transparent open investigation in Zambia into what is happening with this illegal trade and why they are losing so many Makula trees still. Um, And also that they put out a public uh, zero quota announcement on the species being traded under CITES and that they undertake the scientific, you know, technical analysis that needs to be done in country to to see what the levels are to ensure that the Makula tree stays there and sustainable and also very much, I mean, this is a huge moment of opportunity for China because China is the key recipient of the Makula to put in, to not allow the import of the Makula species from, from Zambia or elsewhere where it's being lost um, at this time. All right, Lisa, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. That was Lisa Handy, Director of Forest Campaigns at the Environmental Investigation Agency. Right now, moving on to something a little bit closer to home, MEC for Cooperative Governance and Traditional Affairs in South Africa's Eastern Cape Province, Olilengata, has warned that the continuing rise in the deaths of initiates in the province will force them to cut salaries of traditional authorities. Ngata says the province will get into a process to review the legislation so that there are consequences for traditional leaders, the custodians of the traditions and customs. Awangile Yankees reports. The death of 17 initiates three weeks into the summer initiation season paints a bleak picture and has forced authorities to conduct oversight visits. Dehydration and negligence are the major causes and authorities want those involved to face the consequences. Traditional Affairs MEC says they will have no option but to take drastic measures. We are going to get into a process to review the legislation as a provincial government so that there are consequences. If traditional leaders are saying they are the, the custodian 
of the traditions and customs. We cannot find, uh, you know, tragedies such as these who are facing in the province. There must be an impact in your salary because uh, you must work for what you're earning for. Yes. And therefore, they cannot continue to be paid <laughs> without that. Chief Buyanda Matanzam of the Provincial House of Traditional Leaders admits that there are traditional leaders who are not taking traditional circumcision seriously. I won't say uh, that is not a good idea uh, because I know for a fact that some of traditional leaders uh, do not uh, 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 take uh, taking serious uh, Ulua logo. But I want uh, the department to make sure that, uh, and the traditional leaders as well, uh, to go to the families and try to uh, uh, make them know uh, what is the, actually their responsibility in this regard. One of the traditional nurses in Gomani, Sitembele Yimapi, says they are working on improving their initiation schools. Just a little bit is a problem inside the school, not the biggest problem, but it is sorted out around six months down the line. The provincial legislature is expected to conduct oversight visits across the province this week and will prioritize the Krisani and Oartambo districts. I'm Abongile Yankis in the Eastern Cape. And now it's time for your latest economics news. Here's Tracy Boomgard. Thank you, Samora. South African President Silver Ramaphosa will cut short his two-day visit to Egypt. It says he will return home to deal with the deepening power crisis that the country is facing. Ramaphosa is expected to meet with Eskom's leadership on Wednesday. The country has been seen six straight days of nationwide blackouts. Earlier, Eskom conceded that there was no end to load shedding for the foreseeable future. Power blackouts in the country caused by flash flooding have led to the shutting down of mining operations across the country. Sophie McQuenna reports. President Cyril Ramaphosa met with his counterpart Abdel Fattah al-Sisi in Egypt. In a statement, the president said their meeting was important and fruitful. President Ramaphosa has stressed the fact that South Africa and Egypt are committed to forging a closer partnership. Egypt is currently the chair of the African Union. Ramaphosa will take over the reins at the AU summit in Addis Ababa at the end of January next year. South Africa has identified peace and security and economic development of the continent as the main agenda for AU next year. So, Fimugwena, SABC News. Mobile network operator MTN says it has put contingency plans in place to mitigate the impact of load shedding to its customers. It says since last year it's invested millions of dollars in batteries for its towers as a backup plan, However, MTN says it's concerned that the batteries do not last for long periods. MTN Executive of Corporate Affairs, Jackie O'Sullivan, says the company is spending almost $70,000 in three days for fuel to use in generators. The problem that we face is once we move past Schedule 3, we start moving into the areas where it's just not giving us enough time to reload our batteries. So we've got batteries that have a a capacity for 6 to 12 hours, but we do need 12 to 18 hours to reload those batteries. So that's where the complexity starts to get into it. So we've got batteries, we have generators um, on a sort of, at the moment, we are fortunate that we don't have that many sites down. 
Access to credit in Malawi remains a key challenge for individuals and small companies. This is according to World Bank Group's International Finance Corporation's resident representative for Malawi and Zambia, Madalo Minofu, at the launch of the 2019 Credit Awareness Week. Minofu added that if businesses can access credit, it can grow and create jobs, leading to a stronger, more productive economy and a better quality of life. Malawians have been warned not to borrow from loan sharks as this does not protect the interest of the borrower and people could find themselves falling into credit traps. Rwanda and Qatar Airways have signed agreements that will set up a joint venture to build, own and operate a new airport in Bugasera district. In the agreements, Rwanda will hold 40% stake in the facility while Qatar Airways holds 60%. The airport will have the capacity of 7 million passengers annually in the first phase and 14 million in the second. The airport's first and second phases are expected to be completed and operational by 2032. The new airport is to cost $1.3 billion. Namibia is to participate in the African Continental Free Trade Area negotiations. This follows Cabinet's approval in the negotiations on trade and services at apartheid and free trade levels. Briefing the media on Monday, Information Minister Stanley Samata says the Cabinet has endorsed a national policy on environmental education and education for sustainable development. The U.S. dollar is trading at 360.68 Nigerian Naira, 10.68 Botswana Pula, at 100.59 Kenyan Shilling, and at 15.31 Zambian Kwacha. In BRICS currencies, one U.S. dollar will cost you 4.13 Brazilian Hail, 63.63 Russian Ruble, 70.96 Indian Rupee, 7.03 Chinese Wang, and at 14.63 South African Rand. The U.S. dollar is also trading at 76 pence to the British pound and at 90 cents to the euro. Gold is trading at $1,464 and platinum at $902 per ounce, while Brent crude oil is at $63.97 a barrel. For Channel Africa News, I'm Tracy Bumgard. Now it's time for your latest sport. Here's Neto Chimani. Thank you, Samara. From the Sports Desk, a very good afternoon. Starting off with golf news. Patrick Reid has claimed that he had not cheated after he was given a two-shot penalty for improving his ball's lie in a bunker during the third round of the Hero World Challenge in the Bahamas last Friday. Reid was speaking in Melbourne, Australia, where he will be part of the United States President's Cup team to face the international team starting on Thursday. Oh yeah, for sure. You know, I mean, while I was in the waste area, I didn't feel like it was... uh intentional or anything and if I would have saw the sand move I, I knew immediately if it did then that's a penalty and you know I didn't see it move and because of that they were able to show me afterwards and you know because the sand moved it's a penalty well it's not the right word to use you know I mean at the end of the day I mean 
whenever you're out there, if you're unintentional, if you do something unintentionally that breaks the rule, it's not considered cheating. And at the end of the day, that's what it is. I mean, if you're intentionally trying to uh, do something, then yes, that would be considered cheating. But I wasn't intentionally trying to improve a lie or anything like that. Because if I was, it would have been a pretty good line. I would have been able to hit it really close. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, you can't control what other people say about you. All you can do is control what you do. And if you if you feel like you're living the right way and you're going about things the right way, then I mean, you're living life the right way. I mean, but at the end of the day, you have, with having so many different opinions on everybody, it, you know, you can't please everyone. The 29-year-old American was seen to move a sender with his club from behind his ball, but did not at the time call a penalty on himself. Instead, it was not until after the round when officials showed him the incident on television that he received the penalty. Reed has come in for criticism for his actions from within the game, but says he did not realize the send had been moved by his club and denied that he had been cheating. Well, I mean, of course they're going to speak because they want to get their crowds going and get on their side. I mean, that, that's the name of the game. But at the end of the day, all I can do is go out there and control what I do and how I play. And so it doesn't matter who I'm playing on the other team. My job this week, as captain has told all of our guys, is go out and win your point. And, I mean, whenever your name's called, you have to go out and hopefully win your match. And, you know, that's, that's what we're going to try to do, go out and, uh, and win the point. Not to, not to prove anyone wrong or do anything, but strictly win the point for myself and the team in, in our country. In football news, defending champions Kenya have qualified for the semi-finals of the ongoing Sakafa Senior Challenge Championship after beating Sudan 2-1 in their second Group B match, played earlier this afternoon. Sudan were first on the score sheet, taking the lead in the 30th minute through Mohamed Namir. Harambe Stars drew level in the 65th minute through Hassam Abdallah, who has made it two goals in two matches. The winner for Kenya was slotted home 14 minutes to time by Oscar Wamawalwa to make it two wins in two games and thus cementing Group B. Kenya won the group opener by a solitary goal against Tanzania last Sunday, while Zanzibar and Sudan settled for a one-all draw in the other match. Kenya played the match under the watch of their assistant coach which is Adekia Odieno, as Francis Kimanzi started his two-match suspension for unsporting behavior on Sunday before they played Tanzania. Sakafa official Nicolas Musonye says Harambe Stars coach Francis Kimanzi deserved to be kicked out of the ongoing Sakafa Senior Challenge Cup in Uganda. The Kenyan coach has been slapped with a two-match ban in what Sakafa has termed as unsporting behavior from the former Matara United coach. Kimanzi has been accused of vandalizing the KCCA stadium dressing room during Kenya's 1-0 win over Tanzania. Musonya says Kimanzi mobilized his players not to play the match against Tanzania by locking them inside the room over the accusation three Tanzanian players had no valid passports. They also broke the door lock during such protests which delayed the kickoff of his match over by 15 minutes. The South African women's National Sevens rugby team are set to make their debut at the Cape Town Sevens this weekend in the new expanded competition at the Cape Town Stadium. Fly half Christine Steinhobel says the team is very excited to play in front of a big crowd and says they have been working very hard this week to be ready.
Yes, we are so excited to play in front of our home country. This is We've been looking for this. Um, and from here onwards, it's just going to get better and better every year because now it's going to be an annual thing. So we're very excited to play um, alongside our men. Yeah, so we, we started uh, with some conditioning. Obviously, you have to get your fitness up there. And um, we we struggled to get players in to come training. So the training was a bit up and down. But, but overall, it was a solid training session. We focused on everything we needed to, um, like our set pieces, um, our structure, our defense. Um, and we're really happy with how that went. So we think we can match match the people on the circuit um, based on our skills and we're really looking forward to go and expose some of their weaknesses and, and show to the crowd what kind of brand of rugby we play. For Channel Africa Sport, I'm Nedo NETO Shemani. This is Africa Digest. And that wraps up uh, Africa Digest for this hour. Be sure to join us again for 1900 hours Central African time. But from myself, Samora Mangesi, producer Leb Muswewu, and uh, technical producer Revelina Ibrahim. Uh, should you have any comments that you want to send to us, you can send them through email info at channelafrica.co.za or send us a WhatsApp to plus two seven seven six three zero zero three three two seven.